Hey there, welcome to the Product Hive Podcast. On this episode, we're bringing you the presentation from our April UX event, where you'll hear from Brian Clay. Brian is currently a product designer at MX. MX has been working on an accessible design system for the last seven months. The only problem is the guy they put in charge doesn't know jack about accessibility. Come learn from that guy and all the mistakes he's made so you don't fall into the same traps. A big thanks to MX for hosting this meetup. And a quick note about this presentation, it was recorded as a screen share with Brian showcasing various components in MX's design system built in Figma. Since it's such a very visual heavy presentation, I highly recommend you watch the YouTube video rather than listen to the podcast version. You can pull up the video link in the description of this podcast episode. If you're fine with just listening though, the audio is available here in its entirety. So without further ado, let's hear Brian Clay's talk, Accessibility in Design Systems. Uh, just forewarning, I'm a Figma fanboy, so I did everything in Figma today. I'm going to be jumping around, showing you guys a couple of different things um, that we've been working on here at MX. Um, kind of the structure of how this this will go is um, just introducing what a design system is and what accessibility is. And then um, just showing some examples of we have messed up with accessibility in our design system. Um, the hope is that you guys will know um, if you don't already care about accessibility, start caring about it and really start getting invested. Um, and then number two is to hopefully avoid the mistakes that I made and that my and the teammates made um, during our build out of our design system. Um, this is all going to be uh, with you guys. So um, something that's uh, pretty awesome is uh, just this morning, we made our design system uh, public on the Figma community. So that means anyone can go in and duplicate it and get, I mean, there's like 800 components in there, um, a bunch of layer styles, everything is built with mind. Um, so it should give you a really strong starting point if you're building a design system, or at least just give you some ideas around how we approach this. Um, so yeah, so first off, um, what is what is accessibility? Um, it's basically just creating your uh, designs and your products in a way that will work for any user, not just uh, you know your your most common user uh, that, that is fully enabled and doesn't have any disability. Uh, on the design side, what accessibility looks like, um, a lot of your work is is color contrast ratios. Um, that's where we've, we've spent a lot of time in building our design system out is uh, making sure our, our color contrast accessibility standards. But there's also some other um, more fine-tuned fine uh, design concepts that I'll, I'll touch on uh, today. Um, and then the, the larger portion of accessibility on the developer side though. So um, your, your, your main lift in, in creating an accessible with your developers and not so much on the design side. There's still a, a considerable lift on the design side, but uh, not so much on the um, 
more so, sorry, more so on the developer side. Uh, so I just wanted to point these out. These are, these are kind of five common uh, myths, complaints that I hear when, when abilities that, uh, so the first one is that only affects a small number of people or a small minority. Um, that's hundred percent not true. It affects everyone. Um, not only does it, it improve the experience um, for for those with disabilities, but it also improves uh, the experience for people without disabilities. I don't think you're ever going to run into somebody who who says, "I wish that text was less legible or or harder to read." Uh, everyone wants easy to read text. Everyone wants easy to understand interfaces. So um, that uh, that's. That's my rebuttal to that that first argument. Uh, accessibility is a short-term project. It's it's not going. It should be part of uh, of your iterative process of building products out. Um, considering accessibility at every step of your product development phase is um, is key to actually making an accessible product. Um, don't make your products uh, don't don't focus on accessibility until the very end. Um, don't like I'm. I understand if you have an existing product and you're trying to be accessible, I think that's great. That's a much harder thing to do than just starting with accessibility from the get-go. So start from the, the beginning with your with accessibility. And then uh, last, last two, I'll just combine them. It's, it's hard, expensive, and ugly to do accessibility. Again, it, it can be hard and expensive if you wait till the end. Um, if you don't if you don't bake accessibility in at the beginning, it's going to require more design and more developer time to uh, go back and, and change everything. And often it can mean changing um, major portions of your applications. Uh, and accessibility is ugly. Um, you know, so I I can I can see how some people would argue that it's really in the eye of the beholder. But uh, I would argue that the the designs that we've made at MX are definitely not. Ugly. I think they look great. I think they perform really well, and importantly, they're accessible. Um, Dave sent me the uh, those uh, yesterday too. This is um, basically the result you get when you do a bolt-on uh, accessibility. Uh, you know, effort basically like you can see how awful this would be. Wheelchair. It's the same concept in building products. If you wait till the end and just bolt it on, it's going to be a terrible experience. <laughs> so um, now let's let's jump into design systems. So we've covered accessibility. Now let's talk design systems. Uh, if you're not familiar with what a design system is, it's it's basically just a uh, assembly of components. So that's buttons, inputs, topography, color, and anything you can, you would need to build your interface for your product. Um, it lives in a design system that's in a separate file. And then you can pull those, uh, those elements into, uh, into your actual designs as you're building out your, your various pages for your products. Um, I'll give some examples of some work that we've been able to do with our, our Kuiper design system. Um, just giving shout outs to the designers at MX. Um, this, this one was from Mac. Uh, he uh, is working on a way to show your financial strength uh, in just with one number. It's a really hard problem to solve. Um, as you can see, this is an accessible design and it looks really good. That's, that's kind of a common trend that you'll see across, across the board here. Um, this is a mobile 
uh, banking app that Dave is working on. Looks awesome. Clients are really excited about it. Uh, a new documentation platform. Um, again, this is all just using the, you know, the styles that we've defined in our design system. Uh, this one is from Nick. He uh, is working on a uh, kind of a learning platform uh, for uh, finances. Um, and that, that's a mobile application that will also be scalable to um, a web app. Um, this is kind of a back-end developer portal. Uh, Jake Bagley and, and myself have been working on this design for a while. Um, and then this a, a themed mobile app. So it's a, it's very similar to the app that Dave is working on, but we're in these things. And because we're using a design system, we can, we can easily switch between themes. Um, just, it's just, you know, swapping out colors, swapping out typography, um, but the components stay intact. So uh, that is uh, just some examples of what we've been able to do with our design system. Um, I'll, I'll actually jump into it really quick just so you can kind of see what it actually is. Um, again, this will uh, this is available in Figma community. Um, so you can duplicate this and see it for yourself. But um, as you, if we zoom in here, you can see we have all of our high-level stylography, spacing constants, layout grid, and then some more complex components over here, like a, like a date picker. Um, and then we also have uh, you know drop downs with various states. Just trying to give examples of of how to actually use these things. Um, and then we have our, our fun new project, with, which is charts. This is still a work in progress, but we're, we're excited to be adding charts to our design system. Um, and basically what this allows us to do is when, when I'm building an interface for one of my products, I can just, if I need a button, I can just come in here and grab this primary button and it will stay in with this file. So if we decide to change our primary button to a, to a green color, that will update across the board for everyone is linked with our design system. So, um, and by the way, I should mention, if you guys do have questions, just post in the Q&A. Dave, um, Dave will catch those and, and we'll, between me and him, we'll get those answered. Um, it looks like there's a question to post a link to the, the community um, Figma project. Uh, I'll definitely do that for the, the webinar is over. Um, okay, so first lesson we learned, um, yeah, sorry, I should, should back up a little bit. Now uh, we understand what Excel is, what Dynasm is. We're going to get into the actual nitty gritty of screw ups that we made and how we fixed them. Um, so this one is our inputs. When we first built our, our inputs, this was our style that we used. It was kind of a, had a light gray background fill with a, with a light gray order stroke around it. Um, this, it isn't terrible, but uh, it fails accessibility guideline a couple of ways. So um, the biggest thing is that the border color needs to be at a 4.5 to 1 contrast ratio. Like I said, a lot of the design is, is just checking your contrast ratios. So um, inputs specifically have requirements around contrast ratios. So um, the the WCAG guidelines is that the the border be at a 4.5 to 1 if it's only one pixel. If your border is three pixels thick, it needs to be at a three uh, three to one. 
And if you just use a background color or where you don't use a border stroke, you just use a background color, it needs to be a three to one ratio. Um, so the, what we did to fix this was um, we, we just darkened up the border and got rid of the background color. Um, that helped it to, to meet the accessibility guidelines. We also changed up the label style just to make it um, work a little bit better on mobile. Um, they're a little less tall and um, they look a little bit more native to a mobile application. Um, so so these, these inputs are now meeting accessibility guidelines. They can be seen by people who have vision um, impairment um, and yeah, they should work for, for any user. Um, next one is our, our status, like your reds, your greens, or your yellows, things that you use to communicate error or success or a warning state. Um, we have yet to really find a yellow that works well on, uh, on a light theme. Yellow works great in dark theme, but not in light theme, uh, it, meaning it, yellow on top of a white background is very, very difficult to meet contract lines. So um, these, these were kind of our starting points. Um, we, had our, we have our red color. Um, it wasn't inaccessible in the fact that it was, it, our red color was meeting contrast guideline, but the problem is when we went to uh, a dark theme, the red shifted to a pink color. And when you're dealing with red, you want it to communicate a, um, a sense of error or a sense of you, you screwed something up. Um, so we, we didn't want to use pink there. So basically, it, when you're dealing with red, just add orange to it, and it somehow magically becomes excessive. Like when you're checking your contrast ratios, um, orange really solves the issue. Um, it... In this context, it, it may look a little orange, but if you really zoom into it and you view it just as the color itself, it's very red. It's, it's very apparent that that is a um, kind of a negative color there. Um, so yeah, and then just jumping over to our greens, um, it was the same issue. Uh, we, we were trying to meet some contrast guidelines. Uh, basically all of these greens are pretty much worthless. Um, except for our, our, our fifth one, our most darkest. Um, so what we did is we just add, we just added black. Um, so you just darken it up. A really effective way to do this is in, uh, if you're in Sketch or Figma or XD, use a HSL or HSB color picker, and then just, just adjust the, the luminosity or the brightness value um, to be a little darker. Um, so that, that will keep your greens in the same or, or in really any color, it'll keep your color in the same hue. So it will still mesh with your other colors well, but, um, but it will be able to, you know, basically that's the quickest way to get to uh, an accessible color. You may need to tweak the hue a little bit to, to uh, if it's looking too black or too, too white, uh, depending on your needs. Um, our next one was our toast component. Um, we, we had, Everyone kind of was really liking these toasts. And if you don't know what a toast is, it's a, this little message guy here that pops up uh, maybe in the bottom right corner, bottom left corner of your screen. Um, if you have Gmail, you can see this. If you go and add the email in Gmail, they'll, they'll show one of these toast messages. 
Um, these are awful for people that are using uh, assistive technology, uh, like screen zooming. Um, the The problem is, is if you if you're zoomed in on a screen, click on uh, delete email, for example, you'll never see that toast in the bottom right corner of the screen because the screen is zoomed in, and you'll never know that you could have undone that message or um, or got any confirmation that you did that message. Um, so what we've what we've embraced are tooltips um, and making sure we don't use actions inside of tooltips, uh, specifically on web applications. Um, if you put actions inside of toasts or tooltips, um, a person who is using a mouse will be able to get to it very easily, but a person who's using a keyboard will have to hit tab maybe a hundred times, and they may never even be able to get to it, um, uh, especially if your test has, has a auto hide after like five seconds. So let's say you're hiding your toast after 10 seconds. It takes somebody on a keyboard more than a second to get down to the toast uh, to undo an action or something. Um, so, so what we do is we do a combination of tooltips, but then we also do uh, inline actions. So this is an example of if we were to click this drop down and click delete on this user, um, show this uh, this modal pop-up and then leave the undo action in line in the table so that after we click, uh, after we hit yes, remove user, we bring the focus to this undo action. Um, so it will be right in the uh, in the viewable area of who's using a screen zoom um, technology uh, and will be easy for a person who's using only keyboard to hit. Um, so that's how we we approach the the toast issue. Uh, charts charts are very tricky uh, in terms of accessibility. Um, obviously, we we like charts; they're a great way to convey information. But you have to you have to consider how how to make them accessible. So the problems we had with this chart were um, the colors here, this green color on the bars. Uh, they don't meet uh, contrast ratios. They're too light, meaning somebody who is colorblind or had low vision wouldn't be able to see these bars. Um, so the way we uh, address that is uh, you just add labels to the bars, and that allows uh, the user, a user who couldn't see these bars at all, to still understand the data that's being presented here. Uh, I'll give an example of that. So this is with the green bars completely removed. It's not ideal, but you can still, if you look, October is 5.57, November is 16.40. So you can still work your way down the line and uh, and and find those, uh, those data points. Uh, another option would have been to add a border stroke around this. That's a 4.5 contrast ratio. Uh, so a border stroke around the bars um, would, would also solve that problem. Or you could just make the bars a three to one contrast ratio, which would, would meet your uh, accessibility standards. Um, looks like Ben has a question. Uh, have you put process into place for future designs? Uh, are following accessibility requirements for both designers and developers? That's a really good question. So. Um, basically, we uh, we put a lot of effort into the 
anything that goes into the design system goes through a rigorous uh, accessibility check. So we we try and uh, do our best to to make sure we're reading WCAG guidelines before entering anything into the design system. And then uh, and then also working with developers. So uh, at MX we have a developer who kind of leads our accessibility efforts. Uh, his name is Drew Warren. If you don't, guys aren't connected with him, strongly recommend uh, connecting with Drew Warren. Um, we can put a link to his uh, to his LinkedIn. Uh, he runs. Uh, he's he's a co-founder of a, an accessibility Slack uh, channel um, called I think it's Utah. Um, and yeah, I just, uh, yeah, just posted a link to it in the chat for you. So. Yeah. So definitely check that out, uh, from a developer side, Drew's, Drew's a, a really great resource, um, for helping, uh, helping us understand, uh, pitfalls to avoid with new components and with existing components. So, uh, so to answer Ben's question, it's to matter community effectively with with Drew, who's our uh, kind of our accessibility are on the development side and uh, basically not, not putting anything into the design system until we consider make sure we consider how accessibility will be working for development. Uh, I would and say then, yeah. Yeah, go ahead Dave. Yeah, I was just saying one the one other thing with that too is like our um, our clients require a lot of this. Um, and so it goes through a QA check. Uh, on our client side, and if anything is failing, uh, accessibility standards, um, like our, our clients won't ship it. So, um, so we have another set of accountability there. And and to that point, uh, to Brian's earlier point about like why should you do this, I would love to tell you the story that MX did this just because we think it's the right thing to do. But the reality is, uh, we were kind of forced to because uh, some of our clients were sued because their mobile apps were inaccessible. Um, and, and that's happening more and more. You may have heard the Domino's story. Um, and so just like physical buildings were having to make this transition whenever the APA went into effect like 20, 30 years ago, uh, we're, we're starting to see that with, with digital applications now as well. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, if, if you guys can work that into your QA checks, that's, that's also a, a huge help. Um, I'm gonna, at the end of the my slide, of tools that will help you guys with kind of automating the the, the check process. So um, hope that answers your question, Ben. You can you can post again if I uh, you have any follow up to that. Um, okay, so uh, back into charts. Okay, so this is just uh, the same problem I explained um, here and how we fixed it. Uh, so this is this is kind of looking forward. This is what we're working on currently today. Um, so Jake Bagley, a designer at MX, he's he's been working on our how we how we do charting colors. Um, really gets to the spirit of the law and not so much the letter of the law. Uh, everything we've covered up to this point, all the mistakes that we've made, we're breaking the letter of the law, um, and we've gotten our we've gotten Kuiper uh, our design system up to a level where. We're of the law now we're trying to go above and beyond and really kind of step up our game and meet the the spirit of the law um so this this goes into um all of these colors they they can meet contrast ratio requirements based on how you use them so uh in this second column here everything is at a three to one contrast ratio viewed against light 
So it meets those, those rules. But what happens when we combine these colors? Um, are these colors changeable among one another to a user who is, who is colorblind? Um, and I, several you know, there's varying degrees of colorblindness. You can, you can only see reds, only see blues, or not see blues. And there's the people who can only see monochrome. Um, so what we do, uh, we Jake found this awesome little um, application called Sim Daltonism. If you can see this, this is just an overlay on my screen, and I have it uh, set up to to simulate uh, somebody who is uh, only able to see in monochrome, meaning all color is is not is no longer visible to them. Uh, and what happens is when you when you view this in the context of a chart, the the top one is uh, it works really well in monochrome, but the bottom one we have these three segments are identical to somebody who's viewing in monochrome. So they wouldn't be able to understand is this my home segment or is this my food and dining or is this my shopping? I'll show you what that looks like to. Um, somebody who has who has good vision and can see this this isn't a problem like we can easily distinguish red or sorry green, pink blue and light pink but again to somebody with um that is blind they wouldn't be able to distinguish those three colors uh this app is really cool you can change out the the various uh types of uh blindness so deuteranopia deuteranomaly protonopia and protonomaly and the the more uh, tridonopia and tridonomaly um, are all available there, so you can kind of go through and, and just check chart designs uh, using this um, this app. So shout out to Jake for finding that; it's a really cool application. Um, so that is kind of what we're doing now to to further our accessibility efforts and kind of take our our design system to the next level. Um, so just want to go over tools really quick and then, um, and be done. I'd love to, to have any, any questions after this. So if you guys want to start posting questions in the Q and a, um, we'll open up that way. Um, just, uh, again, we'll, we'll post these slides in the, in the chat. Um, so you can just go in and just click on the, um, click on the link here, um, uh, to see these, these tools. So uh, in your in your design tool, there's I guarantee you there's a contrast uh, plugin that you can use for Fitch XD whatever you're using. There should be a contrast plugin that you can use. Uh, my favorite one for uh, for Figma is uh, this one. It's just called Contrast. Works really really well. Um, and then uh, and then when you're like I mentioned before, just make sure you're using a uh, HSL or HSB color picker to to kind of tweak your your colors as you're trying to meet accessibility guidelines. Um, in Chrome, there's uh, the developer tools, uh, which is really nice. Um, if we go to uh, LinkedIn, for example, you can um, simply just uh, right click on a piece of text, and there will be a color down here, and there should be um, a way to check the um, contrast rate of that color. And of course, it's not working for me right now, but uh, it is in there. Uh, a better way to do 
go use the Axe uh, developer tool. Um, I have that linked here. So it's, it's from DQ. Um, DQ is a great re learning resource and they also have a plugin called Axe. Um, so here I'm on Cuberto's website. It's a really, really cool website. Um, as we know, with, with really cool website come accessibility issues. So you can see here um, we have elements that must have sufficient color contrast. So that's a great tool to check. Um, so right Ryan, here, we've got, a, I've got one question from the. Sorry. Yeah. No, you're, you're good. <laughs> I know it's a little awkward to interrupt. Um, but yeah, one really good question from the chat, and I know this is something our team talks about occasionally too. Uh, from from Hunter, um, have you considered the differences between making your entire site fit accessibility standards versus a toggle specifically for certain problems? Yeah, great question. So, great question. So, our MX's opinion on that is to is make it AA accessible out of the box, um, and then provide additional accessibility settings in uh in like a settings menu if you if you'd like um a, a really good example um it looks like this showed up in the chat was uh leonardo baldwin at adobe uh he's he's just here in lehigh utah he he came and showed us leo it's a way to actually adjust contrast ratios on the fly if you guys haven't checked that out i, I definitely recommend that um that'd be a really good way to additional um, accessibility settings for your users. Um, but uh, again, double A accessible out of the box. You don't have to enable anything. It, going back to the, the, the second slide I shared, it makes it a better experience for everyone. So why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we just do it out of the box? So that, that's how we've, we've approached that uh, at MX. Do you have anything additional on that, Dave? Um, See here, for example, toggle creates contrast. Um, no, yeah, I think that that pretty much covers it. I mean, uh, on the mobile side for sure. Like, um, you know, we were also um, making sure that, like, uh, when accessibility settings are in place at the system level, that those are uh, accounted for and our our app responds appropriately there. So that that's kind of in that vein of like, yeah, if a user has increased the text size or uh, is is using um, the voiceover functionality, uh, making sure that the the app um, still works really well uh, in in that scenario. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, I should probably add that to my tool belt list. Here is just like your system uh, voiceover uh, application. So definitely enabling those and actually having those is is highly. Yeah beneficial and definitely worth your time so yeah um, um there's another question in the chat here it's yeah. a little more related to the design system but we can maybe spend a minute on it um john says uh there's a lot of great work and content in your design system uh how did you slash do you prioritize what gets worked on first and for which types of users needing accessibility support yeah um Question. So, as a prioritization, uh, when we first started building this, uh, you you really need to start with your low level, global like 
styles. So that's that's typography, color, iconography, your layout grid. So um, it is really important that we establish our eight pixel layout grid um, from the get go. Is everything in terms of your font sizes and your spacing and uh, padding and margin. Um, so those in place is is core. And then from there, um, we we just prioritize the simplest component to be used on an interface. We have a uh, a roadmap frame here, which is uh, a little outdated. We have um, we we ordered them in in kind of the importance of how we how we saw us building out our design system. This has obviously grown. I need to I need to go in and update this roadmap frame, but um, that's how we we went through the prioritization process of how we. Um, built out our components. So. Another another question related to that's in the Q and A. Uh, says I'm just starting a design system and taking accessibility into account. I told my stakeholders this takes a long time to build out the library and research all of this. Uh, how long has this taken you? Yeah. Um, so, like, it's I, I think it's a never-ending thing. Uh, first off, it's a learning process. When I this design system project i didn't i didn't know hardly anything about accessibility what accessibility like the term meant and that was about it um so uh basically like drew to me one day he's like design system accessible <laughs> and i was like cool i didn't realize how big of an ass that was um so basically just always don't put a deadline on it, I would say, but we've been for the last eight months. Where we're at right now is we, we've got our design established and we've got developers working on the components. Um, we haven't got our components, uh, at least design system components implemented inside of our product yet. We have our styles implemented, but the a centralized uh, component library is what we're working on now with our developers. Um, so that's kind of where we're at right now. So, and that's taken us about eight months to get to. Yeah. And I would just add that like, uh, we, we think of the design system as, as an internal product. So just like any other product you're working on, when is the product finished? It's never finished. Like it just, it needs to be treated like a product where it has ongoing updates and maintenance rather than a project. That's like a one-time thing that will have a clear, clear end date and so just like any other product you know you got to find ways to to uh pull off bite-sized chunks of it um and not try and boil the whole ocean here at once but maybe we ju you just start with your buttons and you yeah. uh, get those into a, a single source of truth and make sure they're accessible and then move on to the next component from there yeah Sure. Um, and I would, I would add to that, like what we, um, what we've been doing is I, I actually own a product, our, our backend kind of client portal. So as I've been building that, anytime I get a component that I think would be useful for everyone, I take it out of the client portal project and I put it into our design system. So we know that that component is actually needed. So it keeps our design system clean of any extra CRUD components that are, aren't actually being used in design. Uh, yeah, and I'll, so. I'll also point out, like we are still in the process of like implementing a lot of this. So um, 
a lot of this is implemented on some of the internal tools that, that Brian is working on, but he has the unfair advantage of those being products that did not exist already. Um, uh, on the mobile side, we're working on a UI refresh. Um, and so, and part of that UI refresh is implementing this design system. Um, but on some of our web products, uh, we're, we're still kind of figuring out how to, to make that transition. Um, and we also made an attempt at this once several years back. And, uh, you know, I think we, we did okay getting some traction with it on the design side, but less so on the developer side. And, yeah. and so we, we've had our, our share of uh, trial and error there. Yeah. I'll say in, in terms of uh, making your design system last, uh, just do your research, understand what are the best practices around building a scalable system. Um, an example of that is like doing tokens. Um, if you're not familiar with that, go and look it up, message me or Dave word and we can tell you all about how we're using design tokens to make our development really simple and really flexible um they're amazing i don't want to go too much detail because that's kind of off the subject but it's they're they're um yeah it looks like there's um, another question um go ahead Dave. Yeah. Uh, i was gonna say yeah what are, what are some things that made this attempt better or easier to adopt by your dev teams um yeah i, I would say probably the biggest thing is having uh developers who are dedicated to it, but to, but probably even more than that, um, really bought in <laughs> and personally uh, kind of passionate about, about making this happen. I don't know, Brian, if you have any other thoughts on kind of what's made this attempt so, more successful. So two things that have helped, or, well, I guess three things here. So for one, is I, I went in and I built out a, uh, a library of just, these are just static HTML components of, of all of our kind of core components. This gives developers a quick way to reference CSS. Um, so they can uh, basically, uh, a lot of developers don't like writing CSS, so if you can do it for them, uh, recommend that. Uh, we also have our design token um, uh, repo. Again, this is, and this is open source. You guys can go in and use this if you want. Um, it compiles out um, basically your your design styles into JSON so they can be used on Android, iOS, or web applications. Uh, and then a third thing that's helped is Storybook, being able to go in and actually play around with the with the the actual code components uh, is very nice. Um, so these are, these are some of our our code components that we can see uh, and we can play around with and click on and so um, that's been really nice and then just getting developers um, we we're, we're fortunate at MMA to have our our head of front end who's very on board with the idea of a design system he's very he's very much bought in on that it needs to happen um, so that definitely helps uh, we didn't really have to sell it to him um, so, uh, but just just in terms of getting developers bought in, um, focus on the efficiencies uh, that, that come from a design system after it's built. So it is an upfront investment for sure, but the the long term scalable efficiencies of it uh, pay for it uh, pay for that upfront investment. Um, cool. We got a couple more questions here. We'll try. We got probably two or three more minutes, and then we should probably go ahead and do our giveaway. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
So, uh, so here, a couple questions. Do you test your patterns with users with disabilities? Uh, if so, how have you executed that effort? Um, that's not something we've done to date yet, but I know um, some of our clients uh, are doing that. And um, that's, again, kind of like walk, crawl, run here. Like that's kind of definitely on our roadmap of like the next step of things we know we need to do. Um, and we'll be, uh, fortunately, uh, we have some clients that are kind of ahead of us on that. Um, so our plan will be to, to probably to get up and running, will be to, to partner with them um, and learn best practices from them uh, as, to, as to how to approach that. Cause that'll, that'll definitely be a net new thing for me. Um, Brian, I don't know if you have any other thoughts there. Yeah, um, we've, we've floated the idea, but we haven't actually executed on it yet. Um, if you, that is an area that if anybody has insight, please post it on Slack uh, on how to actually acquire um, people with disabilities who are willing to do user testing. Um, that is something we would definitely um, be interested in and be willing to execute on. So, um, yeah, but we haven't done it yet just because of the, the, the barrier to, to get on people with disabilities. Tricky. Um, um, oh, I, just, I guess Derek, Derek did just message me and say, we have some, done some uh, accessibility testing with clients with a few blind users and other disabilities. But yeah, again, definitely something we need, we need to do more of. So, um, uh, question from Aaron, did you uh, consider Envision DSM? Uh, no, <laughs> not really. <laughs> we, just, we just went straight to it. So we were on Sketch before, uh, before I started and I started building the design system. We transferred over to Figma. Uh, Figma works great. Uh, Envision DSM would work great too. Uh, Abstract is another one that would be really good. And now that, uh, Adobe XD have linked libraries, um, they're a good option. So you really can't go wrong as long as you have a centralized, uh, maintainable um, design file. That's the most important part. And so it, in terms of the platform, it doesn't really matter too much. A big thanks to Brian Clay for presenting. And again to MX for hosting the event. If you learned some things from Brian's presentation, be sure to share it with your team or share it on Twitter and mention us at product underscore hive. Sharing these talks is a great way to support product hive. As always, be sure to check out all our upcoming events. You can find them by searching for product hive on meetup.com. And while you're there, go ahead and join the group. So you always get the latest updates. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your feed soon and we'll see you at one of our next events. We'll <laughs>